Today on TechNado, we'll be talking with Marty Bacall from Open Legacy about legacy systems. We're also going to be looking at all the news out of Google's announcements about hardware and find out how you can get into a new Samsung phone with any fingerprint. That's all coming up on TechNado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined, as always, by Don Pizzette and Justin Dennison. How are you gentlemen doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm concerned about that, as always, because I feel compelled to never miss a time now. Yeah. Uh, don't know we if I can a, make that commitment. We have a cutout for when you're not here. Oh. <laughs> and I've made a soundboard of Justin's sounds. <laughs> that's one. That's one of them. So we, we just got, right before we started rolling this show, we got done with a very in-depth conversation about the many forms of Voltron. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that the podcast is like that, Justin, when you're not here. Like, imagine if one of the Voltron yeah. lions called in sick, and yeah. so now yeah. the robot's got to fight with, like, one leg. Yeah, it's... if it's the red lion, then you don't have a head, right? It was the red lion, right? No, it was the black lion. Was it the bl- Oh, it was the black lion. Yeah. That's right. The red yeah. lion Earth. with one of the arms. These Fire. are the hard-hitting issues. Yes. Oh, where's wind today? Yeah. How do we get <laughs> to Captain Planet? <laughs> yeah, Captain Planet. <laughs> I was trying to think of other things that come together. together. Peter made a smog. That worked. <laughs> All right. Hey, we've got a big show today. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, David Letterman always used to say that. Like, it could be any show. and he'd, it's a Big He's, show. He said a lot of things. Yeah, he made a lot of promises. But this one... This one is big. We have uh, Marty Bacall joining us uh, a little bit later. He's the product evangelist from Open Legacy, uh, an Israeli company just came over to the U.S. um, as well to do some business. So we're going to talk about all about great legacy systems and how we can uh, keep those things running because apparently people still want to keep those things running. So uh, we'll do that. And uh, we're going to play a little buzzword bingo today. So head over to go.itpro.tv slash buzzword dash bingo. Grab your card, play along with us. Uh, All the... The fun, exciting words, uh, cloud, you know. Uh, we took off a bunch of words. We did. Uh, yeah, in we, the last We updated so. our buzzwords. Yeah. Uh, to, so. I mean, they have to reflect the times. They have to be today's buzzwords. No longer is synergy or paradigm, paradigm on yeah. here. Those things are gone. Uh, I've gone with these new things that I won't say, so I'm not. You, you got the pen ready. <laughs> I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm like, he's going to slip up. I'm not going to uh, Also, him. I was thinking, you know, based on the times, I should just have uh, ransomware as all the. Oh, I okay. said it. Yeah. Did you have it? <laughs> yeah, that's every week. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, yeah. I'm it's sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, but our first article, not about ransomware, uh, but might get not a couple yet. other buzzwords in there as well. Uh, this one's from Reuters. Uh, Facebook's Libra currency abandoned by major financial companies. So my question here is, why had major financial companies invested in this currency. No, I, invest is a strong word, uh, right? Okay. So we, we reported on this several months ago when Facebook launched the initiative to create their own cryptocurrency, and that was Facebook's Libra. I'm not exactly sure how they picked the name on that one, but a number of big names got behind it. MasterCard, Visa, uh, PayPal, uh, just a, a whole big list of, of companies. And What's happened is over the last, really just the last two weeks, it started with PayPal leaving the uh, the organization. And then just a couple of days ago, MasterCard and Visa have both left. And now all that's left are a couple of like venture capital firms. And that's, yeah, that's Diners it. Diners Club International. And- I don't think they even have <laughs> Diners Club. They left home without it. <laughs> So mm-hmm. and that was Amex, right? Oh, that was Amex. What was Diner Club's thing? I don't think it was Telly Savalas. Did they have he commercials? Would say, oh, they did. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Wow, so you're old, you're older. Good old Telly Savalas. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so you know, companies are dropping out, and uh, you know, I don't think anybody's really invested in the platform besides Facebook at this point, uh, as far as like building it and, and putting money into it. But they need partnerships. They need other companies to say, yes, we're ready to use this currency to give it legitimacy. And most of the other organizations said, look. The U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress, the, the United States government as a whole, hates the idea of the Libra currency or really any alternative currency yeah, that the U.S. government all, doesn't right? control, yeah. right? And so they just felt they couldn't overcome that. And some senators had some pretty nasty things to say. So it made sense that companies are wanting to distance themselves from that. And even then, I think within this article, they actually call out that uh, I think certain European companies said, we will also say, nope, can't use it whatsoever. Um you know, it makes me sad because it's written in a programming language that I, I enjoy using. What is that, Rust? Rust, uh. yeah. Uh, but it is. Um, it seems, oddly enough, we are reporting on this during the Libra horoscope. 
Oh, well, yeah. uh-huh. maybe that's how they picked the name. Then. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe that's why they decided to pull out now. <laughs> yeah, they're like, ah, it's going to make a big splash. In well, the no, news. The, the, the Facebook head who's in charge of the project said the project's not dead, mm-hmm. right? They're still going to continue on. It's just, it is a serious blow. It's going to make it harder to get adoption. Uh, I'm trying to find it. The quotes from the senators are in here where the they bo- said. the very bottom. Oh, is it like at yeah. the end of the article? Um, where they say, like, look. Uh, we're basically going to have some really, really sharp eyes watching every single move you make. And that's a, that's a, not a good omen for a new project like this. France and Germany also last month pledged to block Libra from operating in Europe and back the development of a public cryptocurrency instead. Oh, see, I think a public cryptocurrency is bad, too. Yeah, yeah this senator said, every breath you take, every move <laughs> you make, I'll, I'll be watching you. Senator Sting yeah. has reported... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He yeah. also said Roxanne. Yeah. Uh, he was yeah. surrounded by police. And then he fell into tantric meditation for two hours. And everybody's just waiting for now, him to Senator talk again. Senator Sherrod Brown uh, and uh, Senator Brian Schwartz, uh, or Schatz, wrote in a letter, uh, if you take this on, you can expect a high level of scrutiny from regulators, not only on Libra-related payment activities, but on all activities. So they're saying, hey, we're opening this up to... We're going to look past just the Libra yeah. stuff like, oh, we're good. Uh, yeah, let's. You better be ready to open your books and let yeah. us take a look at everything. And so the rest of the company said, no, we'll pass. <laughs> well, we've already seen what the IRS, you know, kind of cracking down on, on crypto. And, and weren't they looking at people's social or, or what, what were they doing to, to find out how pe- that people had used? So what, what they're doing is, remember that uh, with cryptocurrencies, the entire blockchain is public. You can mm-hmm. see every transaction that happens. You just can't necessarily map a wallet to an identity, right? Right. So what they do is they scour social media and other places for anytime somebody posts their identity along with a wallet code. So now they can attach you to a wallet. And then they can pull all the wallet transactions that have been made. And you know they can do it today. They can do it a year from now. They can do it 10 years from now because it's all right there in the global ledger, right? I heard that Donald Trump is going to release his, his wallet soon. Yeah. But we're waiting to see that. So Send your donations. I thought you were going to say that he's creating a cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. I was like, this is news to me. What would you call that? <laughs> Trump coin? Orange coin? I still say Coinye was the best name. Coinye? Yeah, yeah that, that was, was the best one. Yeah. But. Ah, well. What's the big popular one that everyone uses? So there's the, uh, you know, there was actually, uh, it's going to come up in another article later. So we're going to say it anyway. So so I don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to manipulate me. But uh, Bitcoin's the most popular (laughs) one. But you're seeing, um, for a while, Ethereum was was taking over. But a lot of the ransomware is switching to Litecoin now. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're going to Litecoin is not that it's necessarily better, but because a lot of companies are setting up spam filters that if they see the word Bitcoin in an email, they just throw it away. Like, I mean, honestly, if somebody sends me an email and has the word Bitcoin in it, it is not something important for me You're to like, read. like, yeah, we put your ransom letter in the spam folder. Sorry <laughs> yeah. about that. So, uh, they so haven't now, sent a letter yet. Now they're using Litecoin to try and get away from that. Well, that's fun. Uh, our next article is over on Slate.com. Uh, Microsoft Word users are incensed over incensed. Apple's new Catalina OS, which... I still have not upgraded to uh, yet, but I, I will at some point. I've just got to get through High Sierra first, um, which I haven't upgraded to either. Uh, so why are people so mad? I, I, I heard that there's like a change in the UI or something. No, no. It, you, you would think it would be something like no? that. Uh, this one, I I honestly think that this article author, I mean, you, you got to get a nice it's headline. A, it's a little it's sensationalist. It's yeah, I, I doubt anybody's incensed. But, there's uh, a tweet. This guy looks angry. If you dig yeah. into it, remember that macOS Catalina is the first Mac OS to support only 64-bit applications. Right. They've killed off support for 32-bit. Now, like three versions ago, Apple announced this, and they've been displaying warnings on your screen that if you launch a 32-bit app, it tells you, hey, this app needs to be updated. It's not going to work. Well, it turns out a couple of people ignored the warnings, and then they upgraded. And then their 32-bit apps didn't work. And then... They went on Twitter and posted about it. And, you know, it's silly things like one of the tweets um, uh, is, oh, here, want to update to macOS, want to update to macOS Catalina, but can't justify losing access to all the outdated 32-bit apps I rely on. Looking at you, Microsoft Word for Mac 2011. When I read that, like, I almost knocked myself unconscious with an eye roll. Yeah. Like, like. That is eight years old, and correct me if I'm wrong, I can get a new version of that, right? You certainly can, yep. And so, but the thing is, with older software, you could buy it and own it forever, and you know, versus now where they want you to subscribe to it. So I can see where people might not want to do that. 
But in this case, that person is making that choice. And so this isn't like Apple's fault. And there's plenty of other OSs that are going through the same thing. You know, hey, if you upgrade to Catalina, you won't be able to run 32-bit apps. Or you'll need to run a virtual machine and run it inside a VM, which for a word processor is not going to be worth it. Uh, there's also the whole point that Apple gives you a free word processor. I can't remember the name of it because... Pages. that good. Is it Pages? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. you know, you've which got Which used to be paid for, but now you get them mm -hmm. uh, for free. So, I, I, don't, I don't really understand why you would be running eight-year-old software. Like, yeah, you own it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little paranoid from, from being around everyone around here. <laughs> I'm like, ah, it's, it's outdated. It's bad. It's security. Yeah. No good. I'm just mad I can't, I can't use uh, Word 2011 on Fedora now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and wine. Said about that. Yeah, although you can use the web-based versions of Word if sure. you have Office 365, but at that point you likely have the 64-bit software. I can also use well. those on a Chromebook. You can. Yeah, you can. If, uh, oh, you know, speaking of Chromebooks, there were some big announcements this week. Ooh, let's go over to our next article from CNET.com. <laughs> Pixel 4 and every made by Google 2019 announcement. Pixel Buds, Pixel Book Go. Google Stadia? Are you trying to channel your inner Bubba Gump? Yeah. <laughs> we got Pixel Go, we got <laughs> Pixel Buds, and Google Stadia. Oh, so along with the Pixel 4 phone, we got a preview of the new Pixel Buds, um, because weed is legal now in California, uh, Nest Mini, Nest Wi-Fi, and new $649 Chromebook, the Pixel Go. So Don, I know you, you got the Pixel when it first came out. Yep. And I think it was two weeks. No, the the first the first pixel, one was good. I actually had for about two months before I two got months. rid of it. Okay. Yeah, that one. You went back to the iPhone then, uh, or was there in between? You went no, to I a think Samsung. I was back to a Samsung at that point. Okay, yep. and then you got the Pixel Two when pixel it came two, out. They which... sent you a used one. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know how they had used ones because it, it was it wasn't used. It had failed quality control. Oh, it had the letter. It had in the there quality control slip in it. So yeah. lick at it. And uh, so you didn't even try with the second one there. Well, so I, I had to send that one back and get a new one. Okay. And so I, I did have the new one, but I only had it for like two weeks before I decided that the weeks. Pixel Two wasn't. So wasn't this one, it. by that same. Uh, pattern you'll have for two days. So I didn't even try the Pixel 3. I skipped that one. Uh, oh, and now it's the yeah. Pixel 4 so that's come right. out. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I love Android phones. I've used a ton of them. I've had just a number of Android devices over the years, but I have not been impressed with the Pixels. And this year, Apple kind of laid an egg, in, in my opinion, with the iPhone 11, where it's just not significantly better. I mean, if you care about cameras, I guess, but even then, it's just not significantly better than what we had in the past. The Pixel 4, Basically the same thing. Like if you have a Pixel 2 or 3, there's not really a lot of motivation to upgrade to a 4 unless you get it as part of a free upgrade plan. But, but what uh, is Radar Phone Unlock? It uses Radar? Yeah, well, it's supposed to be better facial recognition, uh, which there was another article I didn't pick for the podcast today, but uh, it was saying how like Google's new unlock will actually work if your eyes are closed, which some people are saying, how accurate can it be if it works with your eyes closed? Yeah. But uh, – but anyhow, the, the only part of the announcement that really mattered, in my opinion, was their new Pixelbook strategy, which I was expecting a few different things. Microsoft, Microsoft uh, Google had announced previously that they were going to start opening up their bootloader so that you could possibly dual boot between the uh, the operating system that the uh, that the Chromebooks run and run like Microsoft Windows or, or an actual install. We've talked of about Linux. how you can't you can't put other. OS is on the Chromebook right now. Right. right? When At you all. buy a Chromebook, it runs Chrome OS and that's it. And you can use things like Crouton to run Ubuntu or Debian or whatever in a container, but it's still Chrome OS that's running yeah. under the hood. So you can't just say, I'm going to format my Chromebook and throw Windows on it or mm -hmm. Red Hat or, or whatever. You can't do that. So they had said they were going to going to open things up a little bit and allow it. They backtracked on that. They didn't. And so the new uh, Chromebook, the Pixelbook Go, uh, is still locked down still just mm -hmm. runs chrome os it's priced at 649 which is not as outrageous as the previous pixel book that was like 1200 it was ridiculous for a chromebook i still think 650 bucks is way too much for yeah, a, you chromebook. Get a chromebook for a couple hundred bucks right you can yeah. and not to mention i think somewhere in here it says that it does not come with an sd card so whatever storage you buy it with is the it's storage all you, that get. you have oh it yeah. doesn't even have a slot you mean yeah well oh, okay what got me is, and for our viewers, people are watching, they can see the picture here on my laptop, but for the listeners, uh, at first glance, if you were to show me this picture- It looks like a MacBook Air. I would say, oh, look, a MacBook Air. Yeah. Yeah. They just, it it completely looks like, and not, not the newest MacBook Air. It looks exactly like the MacBook Air from like seven years ago. Yeah, it's not even a touch bar. 
Uh, yeah, there's no touch bar. So it's I mean, you're kind of selling me on it. I'm <laughs> yeah, out of wait it. a second. Uh, yeah. Wait, how much are these? No touch bar. Uh, oh. How much do I have to pay to get rid of this? Six hundred forty-nine dollars. Sounds good. So it was a it was a disappointing Google event for me. Uh, I don't know about the the listeners out there, viewers. Maybe you guys were more excited about it, but I didn't really see anything. And they talked about Google Stadia, which is a giant waste of time. And yeah, it just I don't know. It was so boring. so the Pixel Buds. Right, pixel buds. There was uh, there was a little quote in here. It said, "It's like a computer in your ear," and I uh-huh. went, "Ah, they're listening to me." And so yeah. I was like, ah, "I'm going to pass." Initially, when I read that, it was you know we could always make the the wonderful wee joke, but also I thought it was just like a little bobblehead or something <laughs> that was <laughs> a like little a, buddy, <laughs> yeah, like an android. Just like, uh-huh. hey, there he is. It's my pixel bud with my <laughs> pixel book go. <laughs> now you can have a friend. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember uh, the movie Dogma? We yes. had Buddy Jesus, right? Oh, it's, yeah. It's the dashboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah, it's the same thing. Fair but point. It's, uh, <laughs> but it's listening. Yeah. It's Always. Like, Jesus. Well, now it is kind of neat yeah. to have a. Oh, yeah, good point. Uh, <laughs> it is kind of neat to have a, uh, you know, like Google Assistant available at any given time right there in your ear, but I'm sure it's going to make for some weird conversations. Uh, and I, I recall. I was at a bus stop in Seattle one day, and there was this lady there who was just having a full-blown conversation. And I thought, man, that must be the smallest Bluetooth earpiece because I, I couldn't see it. Uh, you know, I thought her hair was blocking or whatever. And then she got on the bus and left. And there was another lady at the bus stop, and she said, I can't believe that lady was talking to herself the whole time. And it turns out she wasn't in a phone call. She was just having a straight-up conversation with the voices in her head. So now yeah. we can all recreate that. So. Mm, for some reason, I ah, computer in your head, in your ear all the time. Isn't that how hypnosis works, right? Isn't that like Manchurian yeah, candidate Manchurian territory? Candidate, yeah, yeah. Right. You just hear beep, and you go, "Uh oh, here we go." What's the? Is it Fantastic Voyage where the uh, well, the people are stuck in his in his body, and he can, but he can hear them? Or is it the other one? Well, I don't know that. Being one. John Malkovich. No. Oh no! Um, uh, inner space. Is it inner space? Inner space, where is it's it, uh, is that the Rick Moranis one? Yeah, and they yeah. shrink him down, and he gets okay. injected into uh, what's his name's body. Inner space, yeah. But what's Fantastic <laughs> Voyage besides a uh, Coolio song? Uh, it's the same thing. I don't know. I think that one's with submarines. It was a TV show. Yeah, I thought they went into but, people. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, there was the book. Either you guys read Old Man's War by John Scalzi. Read. It's a it's a sci-fi book. It is absolutely hilarious, uh, but it, it's set in the future, and the soldiers all have a computer embedded in their head. It's like AI they can talk to, uh, and they get to pick a name, and they all pick like vulgar names for their AI. By the way, Fantastic Voyage 1966, a scientist is nearly assassinated. In order to save him, a submarine is shrunk into a microscopic size and injected into his bloodstream with a small crew. Well, it sounds exactly like Inner Space. Yeah, but it, <laughs> but it wasn't a comedy. Inner Space is more of a comedy. Yeah, I'm sure that other, I'm sure Fantastic Voyage would be a comedy. It, if we now, watched it yeah, today. It, it is a total mystery science theater three thousand kind of film at this point. Or the Magic School Bus. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, let's get to our next article. Speaking of devices, still, uh, Samsung. Uh, this is on the BBC.com. Uh, Samsung. Anyone's thumbprint can unlock the Galaxy S10 phone. Now, this this headline makes it appear as if Samsung is announcing that because it's like a colon. Like, <laughs> right, this is a feature. It's a feature. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah the, the global unlock uh, feature well, that they now have. In so. a way, they are announcing it because they have confirmed. Yeah. That was now, the... That kind of falls under the you had one job category. So the guy that they said, all right, you do the fingerprint scanner. Yep, it confirmed that's a fingerprint. (laughs) (laughs) Whose phone is that? It's Bill's. You told me to just put a fingerprint scanner on it, and it confirms. Fingerprint, got it. It's like, you're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, so what's going on here is one day Apple decided that fingerprints weren't good enough and we could switch to crappy facial recognition instead. Uh, and so Samsung took that as a, a sign that, hey, we shouldn't have a fingerprint scanner on the back of our phones either. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have an under-the-screen one? Oh, right, yeah. Apple couldn't quite get it to work, and so they don't have one. Instead, you end up with crappy face ID. Well, on Samsung's side, they did come up with the... Um, <laughs> What is it, the sonogram technology yeah. to, to do your fingerprint? But did they? Uh, the what? But did they, though? Well, so, <laughs> I feel like it just plays a tone from a doorbell. It goes, yeah, you're it. <laughs> so it turns out <laughs> that if you put just like the cheapest, garbagiest, whatever, screen protector on the screen of your Galaxy S10, uh, that there are, n- not all of them, but there are some screen protectors that will cause any fingerprint to unlock the phone. Now, 
these claims are a little bit big, right? And in the article, they only have one story. It's a, a husband and wife, and the the husband was able to unlock the wife's phone using either thumbprint, and he wasn't programmed but that's, in. That's how they found out they were twins. So there you go. <laughs> so, well, twins have different <laughs> fingerprints, right? I don't know. I don't know. But, Do they? Either way, so when I first saw that, I thought, you know, this could all be a hoax. But then Samsung confirmed it. They are aware of it, and they're telling people that it's a malfunctioning fingerprint scanner and that everyone should disable the fingerprint scanner until Samsung's able to release a patch. We'll have to see where this goes, but it's a real problem, and it tells you that uh, the under-the-screen fingerprint readers are not as secure as the previous ones on the back of the phone. Yeah, hopefully there's something they can actually patch with, with software, I too. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. yep, totally doubt it. Yeah, not, not uh, happen, Bill, huh? Bill messed up. He didn't get his job right. Uh, learned two things. Don hates facial recognition. And number two, fingerprints are not entirely genetic. They are um, they're learned. They're, they're affected by the environment. <laughs> so like interactions in the womb. So stuff. twins would have different. I, yep. I had heard that twins had different fingerprints. Yeah. 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 And uh, in an unrelated phone story today, I, I uh, had my phone out at lunch today. And I, uh, I was looking at the, the case, and someone said, well, that's a, that's a Kylie Jenner case. I said, what? I've, I've had this case for, I don't know, three or four months. And on the side, I didn't notice this. Kendall and Kylie right there. <laughs> oh, man. I got, it, I got it at the TJ Maxx. I tell Max. you, why are you telling us this? Yeah, because I'm, I won't have this case tomorrow. So oh, okay. I'll show you today. All right. Uh, well, this uh, whole time, I haven't noticed that. Kylie, Kylie. Uh, reading is hard. So the next time you wonder, you find yourself asking, like, why do the Kardashians exist? Why are they on TV? Yeah, you can fault. say, I helped to fund that. My bad. Four ninety nine at TJ Maxx, I did it. You know, I, I bought a case once from uh, UAG, right, which was like Urban Armor Gear or something, whatever it stands mm-hmm. for. And it was an all right case. And I put it on and I showed my wife and she said, why does your phone say Vag? I said, it doesn't. It says UAG. And he said, no, no, it's, it's VAG. And I looked at it. And I'm like, no, it doesn't say that. But then <laughs> you went in straight denial. At, yeah, I went in denial. <laughs> and then after that, like three different people said that to me. Like, why did your phone say VAG? And I'm like, all right, well, I got to you know, peel off the sticker or something. <laughs> it's a great conversation starter is what it is. <laughs> so, the, so the UAG, the U, doesn't look very U-like? I, I thought so, but what do I know? <laughs> it was boxy. Oh yeah, no, I could see how that could go that way because it's kind of a, a machiny kind of font. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fun. Well, anyhow, good, just shows good work. On you're that. not the only one to buy a uh, questionable case. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, so we don't normally do uh, tweets here uh, because you know tweets aren't news, but in this case it is. Uh, we're going to go over to Twitter.com now uh, to Matthew underscore D underscore Green, who doesn't have the the uh, blue check mark next to his name, so it could be anybody. Well, he, he does have blue hair, though. <laughs> That's true. So that, that counts. Kind of like Ben Affleck. But uh, he says, wait, Apple is sending URLs to Tencent? And then he's got uh, a Safari privacy uh, screenshot here from his phone, which says, uh, I'll read the highlighted portion, before visiting a website, Safari may send information calculated from the website address to Google Safe Browsing and Tencent Safe Browsing to check if the website is fraudulent. These safe browsing providers may also log your IP address. So I don't know anything about about Tencent. Why is this concerning. All right. So uh, this blew up over the weekend. And the reason I picked the Twitter article or the Twitter link instead of the news articles, um, it was developing. So uh, as the story kind of broke, people reported it one way, then Apple came out and and provided more information. And this started reporting a second way. So I I couldn't find one good news article that really captured this. So, So I just went with the source, the original person. So this guy took the time to read the license agreement in Safari on the iPhone. The one guy. The, the one guy. This is the one guy. And he found this statement. And what it means is that basically, if you're using Safari on the iPhone, which a lot of people do, uh, I use it. I'm not a fan of Safari, but on the iPhone, if you want ad blocking, like Safari is the only one that's uh, officially supported. So if you're doing Safari, whenever you type in a URL, it sends some information to Google Safe Browsing so they can determine if the URL is safe or if it's a malware URL, right? So that's good. It protects us. Except we all know that Google harvests your information and uses it for marketing, right? It's all telemetry, so they collect that data. What? I know. It's shocking, right? Well, Tencent is a Chinese company, and they provide the same type of functionality but for mainland China. And so if you're a Chinese citizen, well, the Chinese government controls all of your internet access. And they record all of your access. Well, if you're an American and you're using Safari, the end user license agreement says that Apple can send your browsing telemetry over to Tencent. 
And so this guy highlighted it. It obviously exploded. The The whole privacy community went nuts. And uh, and th- this guy, he's not just some random guy. His, uh, his title, it's on here somewhere. Well, anyhow, he, he actually is a privacy advocate. So, you know, he pays attention to this stuff. Uh, Apple came back and reported that what they actually send is this K-anonymized data, which means they take the URL, they hash the URL, and then they shorten it a little bit and truncate it and submit that to Google or submit that to Tencent. They then try and match that up against malicious URLs. And because they've only got part of it, they might get multiple hits and they send the multiple results back to you. And then your phone is able to determine if the URL you were going to is actually in that list. And so they don't know exactly where you went, but they kind of know within a grouping of, say, 10 sites where you might have gone. But your IP address is very much in that data. And so in China, they use this to track the location of people or tie people to a phone for identification purposes. And it turns out they can do that just fine right here in the U.S. and pretty much every other country as well. Uh, So I had the same question that you had, Peter. What is Tencent? Uh, Tencent Holdings Limited is a multinational conglomerate that effectively does everything. Like they're a giant global brand. Um, probably mainly because of population and stuff mm-hmm. on the other, because I'd never heard of them, but they do a bunch of stuff, agriculture, games, venture capital, investment, banking, social media. It seems like they run a lot of shows. And they are primarily owned by the Chinese government. Oh, well, there you go. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's why it was a big deal. So just be aware, you know, the way your data is handled, when people say there's privacy concerns, sometimes we blow it off like, ah, whatever, who cares if Mark Zuckerberg can tell when my birthday is, but- a lot of companies are taking some pretty big liberties with what they put in their license agreements. That data goes out, uh, and some of it you can't stop. Like this, there apparently is an opt-out process, which is you can go into your Safari settings and you can turn off safe browsing. So if you say, don't protect me, you get your privacy back. But now you might go to most malicious sites. So it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't yeah. type thing. I will say Mark Zuckerberg has had my my birthday since like uh, what 06? A stingy a bastard never sends a gift. Not even a card. Yeah. A phone call? I don't know. Something. A text. Uh, let's head over to bleepingcomputer.com <laughs> for our next uh, article here. New Microsoft NTLM flaws may allow full domain compromise. Uh NTLM, Don help me out with that one. Uh, so NTLM stands for New Technology Land Manager. So, so have nothing to, does it have anything to do with Windows NT? Yeah. It yeah. does. Oh. So, you know, way back in the day uh, when Microsoft had DOS, right? So like DOS 3, 3.1, even all the way through DOS 6, it didn't have a networking stack. And instead of writing their own networking stack, Microsoft just licensed one from Intel. And it was the Intel Land Manager, right? And so that became the Microsoft Land Manager. And in the DOS days and Windows 3.1 days, they didn't have a network stack that would come with them. But when Windows NT came out, they started packaging Land Manager with it. So it was the NT Land Manager, NTLM. So this is all old stuff, right? So this is all like mid-1990s that this was happening, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Why are we talking about it today? The reason here is that Microsoft maintains a lot of backwards compatibility. And even if you're running Windows 10, it still has support for communicating and authenticating with systems using NTLM. Well, another NTLM flaw has come out. This is like the third one this year, where an attacker can actually do a man in the middle. They can proxy an authentication session, capture credentials, reauthenticate, and so on. That's bad, right? Now, they say it could allow a full domain compromise. That doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it, they can basically hijack a session take over authentication, and then access files and other information and as you because they've seized that session. So it's bad. And what makes it even worse is that most of us don't even need NTLM anymore, right? With Windows 2000, Microsoft rolled out Kerberos support, and any Windows operating system newer than Windows 2000 supports that. So it's pretty safe to disable NTLM in most environments. You know, it's been 19 years. If you're still reliant on NTLM, you're not putting your best foot forward here on keeping your systems current. So uh, it's basically just another call, though, to say, look, the default setting in Windows is it supports this old authentication, and it's got some weaknesses in it. This one has a CVE number. Uh, it is in the article somewhere. Yeah, uh, uh, 2019-1166. Right, and you've probably seen it referred to as drop the mic too, uh, which is kind of its All code the time. name. Yeah. yeah. But anyhow, it's a big deal. So if you, uh, if you work for a company running Windows, you need to look into disabling NTLM if you can, or mitigating some other way if you can't. Well, this also said uh, 
that part of the Patch Tuesday security updates issued yesterday to cover this, right? It's supposed to, yeah. Yeah. So I haven't seen confirmation on whether or not it, it has. So yeah, gotcha. Microsoft is working. I feel like on there's patch. a bunch of ATMs or like vending machines or something that are running like embedded windows that are that are mm-hmm. oh look at this and took it over. True. You know, our uh, our old video switching panels back there were Windows 7 boxes. And we couldn't upgrade them, couldn't patch them. They were just static in time, so we had to isolate them on the network. We just did a webinar about Windows 7 end of life. Uh, mm-hmm. so we'll talk about that a, lot, a little bit later, but uh, definitely addresses that kind of stuff. Hey, so Don asked me, he said, can I can I use a, a tweet instead of a news article? And I said, just this once, Don. <laughs> uh, and it's a slippery slope. Uh, and I have I we've you've opened the gate. Taken advantage of me now. Yep. Uh, so let's head back over to Twitter. Twitter.com. This is at Digital Lawyer uh, Peter Peter Gunst. Uh, ooh, I get to use what is this? Not onomatopoeia. And uh, I get to make a, a sound like that in I the headline. Uh, oh, what is it? It's not alliteration. It's not onomatopoeia. Not personification. It's the one. Is it? Is it? Oh, when a word sounds like it. Yeah. Wait a minute. It might be on a monopoly. All right. Well, I'm just going to go for it. Oof. Was just subjected to the most credible phishing attempt I've ever experienced. uh, I've experienced to date. Uh, Here were the steps. Number one. Uh, hi. This oh, should, we, should we play this? Like yeah, this? we can role okay. play. It. Uh, do you who wanna... uh, who wants to be uh, Justin? You want to be the the hacker or the hacky? Uh, sure, I'll I'll be the bank. All right, do you have the or the, the, the hacker? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you go ahead. You're, you're number one. All right, who, who am I talking to? Peter. Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Right, okay. Yeah. Hi. This is your bank. There was an attempt to use your card in Miami, Florida. Was this you? No. Okay. We've blocked this transaction. To verify that I am speaking with Peter. Is this your member number? What or what is your member number? And then I give the member number because that number uh, by itself is useless, according to Peter. Okay, now just to make sure, we've sent a verification pin to your phone. All right, uh, I get the verification pin and I read out the pin to you. Okay, I'm going to read through some other transactions. Tell me if these are yours, and then I read through transactions. Yes, those are all legitimate transactions I made. Thank you. We now want to block. The pin on your account, so you get it, so you get a fraud alert when it is used again. What is your pin? Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> no way. <laughs> All right. So the the story is kind of neat because I mean, it was a good reenactment, yeah. guess. Yeah, Very, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I thought it was really happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I almost hacked into Peter's account. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you might ask yourself, how did the guy know it was a fraud at that point, right? Because there's a few things that happened. They said he was going to get a text on his phone from with, his a, with a, a PIN number from his bank. And he did, right? He got a text from the bank mm-hmm. with the code. Uh, they then read to him transactions that, that he knew were legitimate. He yeah. had made, right? So if this was a hacker, it certainly sounds like they're already in his account and they've compromised his phone. This sounds really sophisticated. But the moment they asked for his PIN, he knew. He was educated to know you never give somebody your PIN, you never give somebody your your password. And, and right? a bank would never ask for either of those things. Right. Although, you know, if you call Cox Cable, one of the first things they do is ask for your PIN number on That's your account. True. So, I don't know. but um, That's a different kind of PIN. So, anyhow, he explains what happened. So, basically what happened was his bank had where you could go into a password reset. If you didn't remember your password, it would say, oh, you can reset your password. Uh, and one of the options was to send a text to your phone. Now... They didn't know his phone number, and they didn't know the PIN number or anything like that, but they knew where the password reset form was, and they had gotten his email address to use as a login, right, from any number of breaches that are out there. So they punched in the email address. They hit reset the password. They called him to to initiate this. You know, again, you get the phone number from, like, a previous breach or whatever. Uh, they could have texted a fake PIN number to him, but then he would know it didn't come from the bank. In this case, the bank was actually sending it as part of the password reset. So he receives it and tells them the PIN number because, hey, the the bank sent it to him. He got it on his phone. Well, they then plug in that PIN number to reset his password and log in. And once they're logged in, they can see those transactions. And so now they're able to read them back because they just got access to the account. So it's pretty sophisticated. It didn't require amazing hacker skills. This is straight up social engineering. so in this case, I thought they asked him for his account number, like his member. They sent number. a member number, which I don't know. That oh, could be the same as the account number. I think they needed that for the password reset. Yeah. I th- so there are some financial institutions where, like, you'll have a username or an email, but then there's also this other. Oh well, this is also your member number. It could be like it's a credit union. Insurance yeah. Insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But I tell you, if they'd have called my mom, they'd have run off with everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She'd have been like, oh, yeah. well, this, 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 and this. Let me help you carry it. Yeah. Um, but they weren't, at the end, they were not able to get away with any money because they needed that final pin to actually transfer money. I feel like in my banking system, I mean, once you're, once you're logged in, you're transfer away. Well, I mean, they still, once they were in, they had access to a lot of information yeah. about him. So it's already like he already got compromised at that point. Uh, but he was able to call the bank and disable the account and, and all of yeah. that afterwards. But I don't know about you guys, but I've gotten to where I do not answer my phone anymore unless it's from somebody in my contact list. I never answer an incoming call. Yeah. If they'll leave a message, and then I know my bank's phone number, and I'll call them directly, mm-hmm. not from the number they gave back. But I don't know how many times my social security number- has uh, been canceled. It's just and, canceled. And there are cops coming. They're, they are on their way. The best I saw, though, was a, it was a news anchor was interviewing a sheriff about these types of calls, and the sheriff, she got a call on her phone during that time. And going, oh, you're you're gonna you're gonna arrest me? Okay, do do you know where the station is? You guys can come find me because I'm I'm already here. <laughs> good stuff. Good times. Good times. This is one of those things that, I mean, this is crafty, crafty, crafty. Because um, during we had a hurricane scare, they said, oh, we don't know where it's going. It may go here, or there. So we were going to get supplies, and I made a purchase at Home Improvement Center, but I had to go to another Home Improvement Center to to get some other supplies. But they're they were geographically close, but it was large purchases. My card got locked immediately, and my bank did call me, mm-hmm. and they say, "Hey, did you do these?" So this is something that a fraud department would do. Yeah. But then I would immediately become suspicious if they were like, uh, "Can you read that pen to me?" Uh, <laughs> no. Actually, if you read a little further down, people ask him about that because it seems like it would be unclear. And he said the text that he got was unclear that it was a password reset pin, that mm-hmm. it might have been like a 2FA pin. Yeah, the pin you requested. Um, yeah. And you're welcome. Uh, those of you out there in Buzzword <laughs> Bingo land, if you, if you <laughs> have 2FA or MFA, I'm not even paying attention. Um, you go ahead and mark that. Um, that's two for me today. They said that it was very ambiguous, but he had also talked to other people that had gotten caught up in this that they said they just kind of read over the a little bit of copy that says yeah. what this pen's for and went, yeah, the pen's blah, 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 and not even paid attention to that. So maybe maybe if nothing else from the story, read what it says when you get those little pins. I know for my Amazon account, the, it's very explicit. Like someone's trying to log in. Mm-hmm. This is your um, your pin for that. This is why I don't use banks. I've set all my money up. In mason uh, jars right in, in your backyard. Right in front of the FOSCAM <laughs> so I can watch it all day. <laughs> and so can Along I. with China. <laughs> I like how uh, uh, Apple and Google both now, uh, when you get a message telling you somebody's logging in, it it does the geolocate on the IP. And so I'm like, oh, somebody's trying to log in from Afghanistan. Uh, I don't think I'll allow that one. You know, that, that stuff, it's it's progressing. People are getting better, but you got to be uh, ever vigilant. What's, what's wrong with Afghanis? I'm not there. <laughs> There's that's problem that. number one. <laughs> I think that's the only problem you really need this yeah. scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I was just making ignore. sure that you weren't, you know. All right. Uh, our last article today is from uh, Checkpoint.com at research.checkpoint.com. Oh, this is going to be fun. In the footsteps of a sex extortion campaign. Sextortion. I've not heard that word before, but it's sure like extortion. Well, I mean, I've been a victim of it. I didn't know it had a name. I'm like, weren't we just talking about your boss camp? So, <laughs> that's true. so so Don, this one, this is a, a long, a, basically a, a story uh, tracking uh, a, a particular campaign. So you want to give sure. us the uh, yeah? Let me just summarize just... it real quick. Uh, so th- this is not a a new attack, but it is a, a bigger spin on it. So a couple of years ago, I think about two years ago, we started seeing these emails pop up. And what happened is, uh, you know, a lot of breaches have occurred. And so your email address is pretty much known by any hacker who wants it right these days. So they were crafting an email that was fairly generic. And it would say, hi, Peter, or whatever, you know, because they, they had your email they, address. They know me. And then it would it go on to say, they hacked your computer. Okay. And they took over your webcam and have been recording all of the things you've done on the computer and video footage of you 
doing various things and looking at various content. Uh, and, you know, it's called a sextortion attack. So just let your mind run with that. Uh, and then they said, look, we're going to release this to the Internet unless you send us a Bitcoin payment. Here's my wallet code. Here's where you can buy Bitcoin. Send me this. You know, it's effectively blackmail, right, or extortion. So in the early days, these were just random emails that were sent to people. Then they started kind of doing whaling, right, focusing on people who were CEOs or executives. Those are email addresses that are easy to get. And it's unknown exactly how much is being paid to these, but Barracuda and a few other places that, that scan a lot of email started collecting the wallet codes. And so once they had the Bitcoin wallet code, they could pull up that public ledger and actually see how much was being paid into them. So now they, they do have a pretty good idea how much these are making. Well, a new round of attacks just started about two weeks ago, and they've ramped up. It's the same basic format. So uh, you'll get an email. <clears throat> it's a little more sophisticated in that they've got your email address, your name, and an old password, hopefully a password you're not using anywhere else, but one that you used on a site that was likely breached, right? Mm -hmm. You know, any of these vBulletin sites that get breached, they usually have where the passwords are decoded. And, uh, and they're just getting that from an old breach? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you might not even be using it anymore, but it adds uh, credibility to the email. And they say, I recorded you, and here's your name. And I know one of your passwords. It's blah, blah, blah. And so you see this password that you may have previously used. Hopefully you're not still using, because if you're still using it, it's even more convincing. Like, oh, crap, this person knows my password. Uh, meanwhile, they just got it from one of the big data dumps, you know, like the Vault 6 dump or, or one of those where they have millions of these. And then it goes on to say, like, I recorded you through your webcam, in this case, satisfying yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so apparently they recorded me yeah. eating a Snickers yeah. bar. <laughs> You're like, this <laughs> is good candy. <laughs> satisfy you. I um, am satisfied. And then they're asking for $800 in Bitcoin and providing a wallet key. Now, this one, the reason we're talking about it now, because this is not a new attack, right? This was news two years ago. Uh, what's new is there is a malware that is spreading very, very fast that's compromised uh, something like 250,000 machines at this point that installs a spam bot that transmits these emails. And so the volume of these emails has increased exponentially over the last couple of weeks. So if you've if this is news to you, if you've never seen an email like this, you are likely going to be seeing one in the next couple of days if you haven't already. Check your spam filter because that's where they usually end up. But uh, But there's a lot of these pumping out there. The, the so in this write up um, at checkpoint.com, they go on to tell you how, like how this occurs, how the spam's actually working. It's a so really that, good article. It, it was really well written, but the the sample uh, spam bot email, right? Don showed you a little bit of that, it, uh, or talked about it. I know one of your passwords. If you're still using it, bad. But there's a couple of things that got me. I go, oh man, that would really sink you. Um, the you should Google drive by exploit. So correct me if I'm wrong, Don, is this something that's going to show up as valid as a thing that you could read about on Google? And so you go, oh, yeah, they could have got me doing yeah. that. Uh, so that lends credence. That's the truth in this lie, right? Yeah, and that's they have to sprinkle that throughout to build the credibility, right? And I'm not going to give you a link. You just Google it so you know it's safe. And if you search for drive-by exploit, you'll probably find an article by Sophos or Threat Labs or somebody like that. So, you know, a legitimate source. And you can learn about how web browsers can install malware without you even knowing about it. And so now you start to build a story. It's like when people go on WebMD and they have every sickness yeah. they read about. So that's I've got how this is. All the be. cancers. Yeah. All I can't believe them. it. It's like a royal flush. Yeah. I got hep A, B, and C. <laughs> <laughs> I got to catch them all. <laughs> You're the count. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the second thing that caught me was the exact amount. It said exactly $800 in Bitcoin. Why eight hundred dollars? Like, is that just some random thing that they've, it they've done the math of? Here's here's what people are are willing, are willing to, pay to pay before they, they yeah yeah go uh, to the. Cops. I mean, it wouldn't have struck me if it just said eight hundred dollars, but it said exactly eight hundred dollars. That might be a language thing. Although this one is actually like grammatically, this one's written really well compared to the original ones. I feel like there that's a business opportunity of just Grammar lending checking. translation services to uh, <laughs> to foreign hackers. Going, We're, I should write back to this. Go, hey, I appreciate the effort. Not going to buy it, but did notice you got some issues here. 
How about if you send me exactly yeah, eight hundred exactly. Bitcoin, eight hundred dollars in Bitcoin? I will be your yeah. editor. Peter, do you know where I could set up one of those services to be uh, See, nice sought try, out <laughs> by <laughs> one of these? See that right here? I already tried it with Don. I said, I, I said, so where do they get these passwords? He's <laughs> like the internet from other breaches. I'm like, yeah, but no, like specifically <laughs> where? Yeah, is it like a shady? Yeah. Like it's like a bright area? No, no, it's not. Okay. I did notice though as we were talking about this. As done it and, and justin caught me i looked up and oh my webcam covers uh, open <laughs> and i was like i had a call yesterday on that what did i do since yesterday <laughs> no, those dang. snickers bars and wrappers <laughs> and a couple baby ruth but no i'm i'm all set there so wow oh, baby uh, so, ruth. That, that's yeah. a good candy bar yeah baby underrated ruth? so something to change <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, see, I feel like when you said they're going after whales too, I thought, you know, if they sent this to Justin, he'd go, cool, just make sure you you tag me on the post. Yeah. <laughs> this could be our so breakout So you know how, how you just destroy like blackmail or extra, yeah. you go, oh, that's awesome, but I'm going to need royalties from that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's my likeness in my name. Yeah. So I'll see Do you, you have them all? Because I can send you <laughs> more. Uh, you should start a drip campaign with this. It's crazy. Well, this is one of those times where I have no segue. Ah. Um, so uh, we've got an interview now that's about legacy systems, uh, which um, we're going to find out what exactly that means because that can mean a lot of things. But uh, Marty Bacall is the product evangelist over at Open Legacy. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk with Marty right after this here on TechNado. Are you a career changer or a budding tech pro who's looking to start their career in IT? I'm Wes Bryan, and along with my fellow IT Pro TV edutainer, Cherokee Boos, we've just shot a new show just for you. Each week, we'll dive into topics to help you launch your career in tech. Watch how to get started in IT on YouTube now. Just head to youtube.com forward slash IT Pro TV to watch and look for new episodes every Saturday at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. All right, welcome back to TechNado, and as promised, we are joined by our guest now, Marty Bacall, who is a product evangelist at Open Legacy. How are you doing, Marty? Pretty good, pretty good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, just to start off, for those that haven't heard of Open Legacy, I mean, I looked kind of down the uh, the description here, and it seems like you guys will solve any problem I've ever had or ever will have. Uh, <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about uh, op what Open Legacy does? We'll solve any problem you have with legacy systems. Okay. That's the way I say it. Um, we focus on legacy systems and how they work um, and actually generating APIs and interfaces for legacy systems. Um, and basically, we generate them as, as cloud-native applications. Um, they can be Java-based microservices, or we can even now do JavaScript generation for things like AWS Lambda functions directly call. Um, so really, it make, we make it really easy for you to access your legacy systems, systems with, say, COBOL or other type, other types of languages, all, all as part of it. And, and that, that's our, our primary goal is, is, is to allow you to, to actually access those directly in a fraction of the time it would take you to build something that actually works to it with no middleware, nothing else in between. A real nice, simple connection, which you can put into a container and it works very easily. All right, so can you help me define legacy systems here? Because I've kind of heard that term thrown around to mean, you know, anything from old, you know, AS four hundreds to I don't know, is Windows seven a legacy uh, <laughs> these days? Uh, you know, because support's cut off. So, so how do you define that in in your scenario? In our scenario, it really is the AS four hundreds. It's the mainframes. Um, it's the old S. It really is backend systems, things that are on premise in many different cases. I agree, you could have like a Java system or something like that. It's not our main focus. We do things like RPG, COBOL, um, some SAP systems, Oracle, different types of databases that are all on-prem. All right, so let, let's say that, uh, you know, I, I've got one of these legacy systems laying around and uh, in, a, in a perfect world, we would just migrate to some modern platform and be done with it, right? But I think we know from from what, like primarily government and large enterprise, that they're the ones that either just have, like, what is it that stops them from moving away? They've got just a huge investment or it's not possible for them to move away? What, what's keeping these customers from replacing those systems? Well, there's a lot of different different things. I mean, we talk a lot to banks, insurance companies, 
some government, some transportation, many times they're regulated. And so they actually need those business process, things like that are part of what they built to, to meet regulations. They also can't put it into the cloud in many cases because of regulatory needs. I mean, you can argue whether they could maybe go through everything and make that all work, but it, it would be hard. So there's a lot of different things involved with the scale, the size of the systems, and also just the fact that they couldn't move them in, in, in there anyways. So, you know, they spend time and try to figure out ways maybe to adjust them to more modern, but it, it, would, it would be a lot of rework without that much benefit long-term in some ways. So I've worked in a couple of legacy systems and they tend to be these giant monoliths of just, I mean, it's just sad really. And you, you can't do much about it, but you said, I have no middleware. We code generate. So you're not necessarily building like there's nothing that's sitting in between. Are you ingesting someone's source code and like generating, like carving out a piece and saying, oh, that now sits here. We've updated it for you. Or how does that actually work? We, we do ingest the code if, if you give us the code or even the screens, if you give us the direct screens and we get the information for how to call it. We're still calling that legacy system, but we're actually parsing it into things that are APIs so we can generate microservices that know how to call it and maybe take care and, and actually then have we have these SDKs that can store some of the information for some of the commonly called things and allow you to orchestrate information so you can work between a couple of them and actually make calls and have a good API you can work with. Now, what about like uh, security issues that would center around this? Because you're basically taking all the input that would normally be sent to that legacy system and having it transmitted. I know most most of the legacy, system, legacy systems that I've seen have not been designed with security in mind. And so they're they're fairly weak on that. And one of the advantages of moving to a newer platform is that you can kind of shore that up. But if you're keeping the legacy system around, are you insulating the, the customer from that somehow? Or do they still have to find another way to secure that platform? It's a good question. I mean, a lot of the legacy systems we deal with actually are more secure than you think because they're big banking systems that had to be set up that way. Sometimes their interfaces aren't secure. We do, though, spend a lot of time with things like a lot of the common OAuth 2 and a lot of the other types of security um, that people commonly use on the web for our calling into that legacy system. Um, we also, um, it's also can still be part of your um, whatever security systems you want to call, you can call from our stuff because it's direct Java code that you actually have access to. So if you actually want to make a put a, put a call in there to, to your security, you can do that so you can check everything that comes goes to and from and, and, and make checks on it. So we use the security of the legacy system and also security that, that you add to, to the system for, for making the call itself. Now, when when I think about solutions like this, where we're we're basically bolting on a modern interface to a to an older platform, uh, to me it, it seems like the most common scenario would be a, a temporary solution, and, and temporary might be a few years, but just while you're getting to where you can finally replace that back end. But are, are you finding where people use you as a, a a permanent solution to just say, look, we can maintain that legacy system forever now that we've got a modern inter interface stuck on it? Well, it's a great question, and these are discussions we get into with our customers. Some customers want to um, do migration. Eventually, we think they want to do, do a full migration to another system, and that's great. We can help them with that because we have uh, microservices that, that, that we actually allow you to, to put in there, and then you could just reroute those microservices to something new if you do it. Some customers say, I'm not going to move it. I'm just going to um, keep it working, and I'm going to make calls to it because this is a modern API. Now I can just work directly with it inside the cloud. And a lot of customers do a variation of both at the same time. So it's nice because you actually get those options and everything's built in in a real modern API for from everything from everything else that integrates to it perspective. All right, now I, I used to be a field engineer, so I traveled a lot, I'd, I'd go to a lot of data centers and every now and then I would get truly shocked by how old a piece of equipment was or some software that somebody was still running. I learned never to underestimate the age of people's equipment. Uh, so. For you guys, you, you've been around several years now. You're an international company. Uh, what's, what's the most unusual thing that you've had to kind of retrofit? What's the oldest system that you're aware of? I mean, most of the ones we deal with are, um, are definitely some very old mainframes, some IBM iMachines that are quite old. We've seen some of the really early versions of SAP that even SAP won't, won't do with their tooling. They won't actually migrate up unless you upgrade first. Um, you know, so we see, and we've seen a lot of custom applications people build that are still kind of there and, and are very old. Now, the, 
there's sort of a nomenclature confusion a little bit because IBM still makes mainframes. They still make what they call IBM I, which is the old ES 400s modernized. So some people have modern computers running really old software, and that still is, in our mind, a legacy system. So uh, you mentioned, Marty, that uh, that you guys are, or actually Don just mentioned, you guys are an international company, uh, originally uh, started in Israel, but uh, you've just kind of recently ventured into the U.S., is that right? Yeah, we ventured in the U.S. that started this year. We've already had some pretty good customers at some large banks and insurance companies in North America in general. Um, so this is our first foray here. We started in Israel, we moved to Europe and actually Latin America because there were some pretty good parallels for some customers who needed to modernize there. And then um, this year we rolled out working in North America and at the end of the year, really starting next year, we're working in APAC as well. All right, so let's say, uh, just you know, to kind of set a scope for something like this, that um, if I had a, I don't know, like an old SAP deployment, th those are incredibly expensive. I know it's difficult to migrate and change those. So I decided I want to engage with you all to to help to modernize a bit. What does the deployment look like? Am I standing up a server here on-prem that's running you know, the, the API that you guys create? Or is that hosted on your end, like a cloud service? What, what does the actual infrastructure look like? We actually don't have our own cloud service at all. Um, we don't we don't charge that way. It's not what we do. Um, usually, you can put it anywhere you want. To be honest, you could put it on another on-prem machine if you choose to. But many customers put it in a public cloud or or a private cloud, however they want to make it work. Because all we're generating, which you generate yourself, because if we, we just sell a platform you can generate yourself, is a main is a microservice in Java typically. Um, so that you can then deploy it anywhere you want because we'll, we'll put it into a container for you. And, uh, um, and you can just put it, deploy it anywhere you want and it'll call the legacy system from there and make it work. So it's very flexible in how you want to deploy it. There's no real requirement for, for how you make that work. Um, we also recently were just in the process of releasing um, JavaScript versions. So you can generate JavaScript and put that in like an AWS Lambda function or something along those lines. So a um, couple different flexible options Deploy anywhere you want and deploy in days rather than months that it takes some others because everything's automatically generated. Yeah, I can I can think of a number of the advantages to it. And, and one of the big advantages I'm thinking of is it it's hard to find developers that are trained to work on those legacy systems. But if you can have a, a modern API tacked onto it, it becomes a heck of a lot easier to find developers. And I, I know, you know, Justin, for you, if I said, hey, I... I need you to write this application or interact with this app and and use our our API and you're able to write in Python. That's going to work out well. But if I say, oh, I need you to write this in Cobol, that's going to. I'm like, I'm going to need more zeros at the end of my paycheck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's funny. I'm I've I've actually been interacting uh, on a personal project with a legacy system, and it is incredibly painful. Like I've just been going, please let this be like updated. But uh, after discussions with the various organizations, that's not going to happen. But maybe I can like, hey, there's easy ways to go about doing this, figure this out. But I do have a question speaking of like interfacing with these new APIs, right in Python, that makes it that's great. But you say no middlewares. But I, I, I think my mental model is a little skewed here, right? Like, well, so, what is the definition of middleware? Yeah, yeah let's make sure because when I think of middleware, I think I may be thinking of something differently. So when you say no middlewares, what does that actually mean when you're generating these these microservices that provide an API? We're, we're saying no ESBs, no um, SOA type type systems where you have a queue that you have to put something in and pop it back out the other end. Um, we do call we do say we have an abstraction layer, but the abstraction layer really is just an SDK that calls directly through to the legacy system, and then from the SDK you can have an API that calls into the SDK and orchestration inside of there. And all of that is Java code that you have access to, but each one's a direct connection to, to, the, to the storage inside of the legacy system, which then you can do orchestration and things like that between them. So you can have a few of these SDKs working to build one API and some different options to actually make it more customizable from there. So at the end of the day, the the legacy system is completely unchanged, right? You you haven't installed anything on that. Everything is running from the the separate microservices. That that's the other big thing we do. We we don't make you build a facade on the legacy system like a lot of uh, a lot of other companies do. They actually make you build a facade there that that does a translation of the um from the legacy language 
to to the modern language, um, the data, the data, things like that. And we, we don't make you do that. We do all the translation automatically inside of the SDK in Java, which which then allows you, and, and that's all inside the microservice. So you actually have control over um, how that all works, and it takes care of of having to, to do something on a legacy system, maybe written in COBOL, that then translates it so it's understandable in Java. And we don't make you put it on a queue, so, so we get rates of like five times faster running than a, than a lot of systems that go through that middleware. And our development efforts are much shorter. We, we get these things done. We can generate mint APIs a lot of times in hours or days, whereas a lot of times people say it takes them weeks or months to do that. Now, I know like putting a solution like this in place, it's got to be fairly expensive. And really, it would probably only be larger companies that had legacy systems laying around that they still needed to maintain. So is your target the the enterprise space, like Fortune 100, Fortune 500, maybe government? Is that your primary customer? Our traditional, our traditional customers, a lot of times, are banks, insurance companies, fairly large. But there's a fair number of the mid-tier type companies that actually we work with. Um, they're, you know, the mid-tier banks, that they aren't the, the, the big ones, but the regional banks. Because we see a lot of interest in there. We also see some that have um, legacy systems in like transportation industry with logistics. Um, because they have a mainframe that keeps track of their customers, keeps track of how to get to them and access them. And they don't want to change that just to do it. So we do see a lot of those mid-sized to large companies we're working with. Okay, so Marty, if I fit into uh, to that group of people, what's the best way to to reach out with you to engage you? Well, you can definitely go to our website, openlegacy.com. We have a nice demo center there where you can actually watch videos for a couple minutes and see what's going on. And from there, you actually can can contact our sales team and, and actually um, start a discussion with us. That's probably the best way to get there. We also will be at Money 2020 in Las Vegas um, in a few weeks. So we, we do go to different conferences and feel free to um, to check out our website, check out our case studies because we actually have some named customers like Credit Corp and things like that that are up there. You can take a look at our, our case studies and you know that's basically how you reach us. But I, I do figure with, with legacy systems, people can still fax you as well, right? Is that a <laughs> good way to get a hold of you? They could. I think most of them have email at least. Yeah. Yeah, just, email, yeah, send Marty a telegram and uh, and, <laughs> and it'll print out on his dot matrix printer. Yeah, yeah we'll print it out. you got to get yeah. the little edges off of the, the paper and everything. <laughs> but hey, Marty, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. No problem. Th thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and thank you all for watching. But stay tuned. We have more Technado coming up right after this. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, it helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training. And last year alone, they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV, I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back to TechNATO, and thank you so much uh, to Marty for joining us up from uh, Boston. That was uh, that was cool to hear about. And I, uh, we, we've talked, uh, I feel like, in a lot of these these stories in the last few weeks about these legacy systems that oh, this town was running in that, and that's why that they they were able to be attacked by by ransomware or you know other situations like that. So uh, it's it's I'm glad you asked about the security aspect of it. Well, there was one town that was saved by their legacy system. Like all their <laughs> machines got hit by ransomware, except for their old like. Z series main. It doesn't have an Ethernet port. We couldn't. <laughs> we couldn't even put it on the internet. So that'll do it. Uh, hey, we want to let you know about a couple of things before uh, you get going here. First of all, we got a couple of webinars coming up. Uh, so if you head over to itpro.tv/webinars, you can see the list of all the past webinars, uh, all the archived ones, as well as all of the upcoming ones. And the next one coming up right now is Threats in Disguise. Are you haunted by hidden hacker hardware? That's going to take place on Thursday, October 31st, also known as Halloween. Uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and that's Daniel and Don. Uh, and you're talking about all the kinds of uh, devices you might find around your office that, that pen testers could use or or nefarious actors could be actually using. Yeah, to. If we haven't created enough fear in the podcast, then we're certainly going to make up for it in the webinar. Perfect. The hidden crap could be all over the place. We did discuss, though, this morning, uh, we are we're not doing a smoke machine this year. No, that didn't work out so well. Yeah, the studios were shut down for about uh, about an hour after after the webinar. 
last year because well, while we waited for the smoke to dissipate, the, did, the sprinklers didn't come on. That was I the did allow me to get a uh, a one foot tall Stonehenge that could descend from the ceiling, but uh-huh. that that got turned down. So, huh? Why? Who turned that down? I budget. <laughs> Real quick aside: Are sprinklers run off smoke alone, or do they have, they have to it's be heated? Heat. Don't they? Yeah, yeah, but but I feel like there are some, or maybe you know, there's different kinds. I don't know, but. I mean, my smoke detector runs off of just smoke, right? No, it runs off of americium in a battery. Okay. Uh, but, you know. Mine's actually powered by smoke. Nerd. It only works <laughs> yeah. when there is smoke. I have smoke. to build a small fire in a barrel every day when I get home. It's a steam power. <laughs> Do you know how much firewood I got to yeah. gather to keep uh, my smoke detector? Were you going no. somewhere with that? Or? No. No. Just no. <laughs> uh, fantastic. And... Uh, also, uh, yeah, we've got a deal uh, over at ITProTV at go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, you can check out our 30% off code for uh, your membership. Uh, you can also do a seven-day free trial there. Uh, and that, that 30% off is for the lifetime of your subscription. Uh, you can also request a demo of uh, ITProTV for Teams and find out about the cool features that we have for um, for multiple users so they can uh, track uh, who's watching what, assign courses, and all that good kind of stuff. So that's over at go.itpro.tv slash technado. Check it out. All right, guys. Uh, we've, well, we've still got a couple weeks before the, the Halloween thing. I don't know if we're going to be in costume or anything here. Oh, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't have a costume. Mm, no. <laughs> no, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. By the way, did either of you get bingo? No, I am, I am one dark web away from bingo. You don't get to check it. This is when we talk I about do. it. I do. Don't I get to check it? I'm going to get Nah. It's cool. Wait, did somebody say attack? But, but what's funny, you said attack on small cities about oh, legacy I systems. Did. And I was like, Oh, I think I said yes. that in the interview, too. I think I probably said uh, that may, in the interview. Maybe. Maybe. I just yeah. didn't catch it. But right, I was like, so All I'm, right. I'm Russia away from uh How do we not talk about Russia this week? And it was all Chinese when, stuff. Uh, the article from... Uh, one of the the ones was it was like there was a Sergey wrote this article and there was a uh, I, there, there were Russian names all over the place today and we didn't even bring it up. That's where we get our most current news. Yeah, that's that's too bad. <laughs> Straight from Vladimir's desk. <laughs> I feel like Don hasn't had uh, had bingo in in a long time because he I mean, says all the words. He's yeah. borderline blackout over here though. I mean, he's got it. Like, I probably have half my card checked off. Yeah, if you had robot robotic. You'd be. There's definitely some words I know that I I said blockchain. I said breach. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, All I right. said encrypt. Did you? Well, yeah. you know what? There's always next week, and next week you can play along with us, and we hope that you will join us next week on Tech NATO. We'll see you then.